Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today by the effervescent Philip Fariska. Hey, everybody. And Pete DeMayer. Hi, everybody. In the glittery Misha Bakikia. I'm glittery this week. It's the word that came to head. Oh, sounds good. Hey, everybody. Yeah, Pete. Apparently, I'm glitter. I didn't. Pete, you didn't get a, a word. <clears throat> I want one. Okay, what do you want? I don't know. Pete's glittery too. I want to be like the. He wants to be unique. Super intelligent. Mm. Eh. That's two words. Yeah. Well, you can I'm, only be super or intelligent. That's All right, hard. I'm going super. It could be hyphenated. Mm. So today we're going to be talking about hotel marketing, shock horror, because you are listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing podcast, and. Not just any old hotel marketing. We're going to be talking about OTAs and what hotels can do to get back some of their own bookings. So I just took a trip to New York, guys. And How it was, was it? It was great. I saw the Eiffel Tower <laughs> and Big Ben. I think you might have gotten on the wrong plane twice. Okay. No, it was great. <laughs> we, uh, we stayed downtown in the Marriott Marquis and uh, it was a beautiful hotel. And we were there for HSMEI's annual event. You know, they in conjunction with the Adrian Awards, they also have a bunch of roundtables. So I was uh, had the pleasure of meeting with a bunch of the resorts that attended in their resort roundtable. And they get together every year and they just talk about all the things that are going well in the industry, some of the challenges they're all facing, and they collaborate. And typically, it's top secret. You're not. It's very closed door. You're not meant to speak about any of the things you talk about during the meeting. So. Let's I'm, talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to break all those rules. <laughs> Distribute it to millions. Exactly. But no, I, I did run it by them first, and I said, is it okay if we talk in generalities about the presentation that I gave? And I'm not going to give any of the specifics of who attended or what they specifically said, but I figured we could go into that. And, and our topic was basically what are OTAs doing really well and why are they getting such a big market share versus the hotels and what can hotels do to combat that? And um, so we'll jump into that in a little bit. But before we do, what is going on in the news? So I have an article from fastcompany.com. It is about my favorite thing to talk about because I feel like I talk about a different article about them every week, Airbnb, our favorite travel disruptor. So this week, it looks like Airbnb is on just a buying cycle where they're acquiring new companies. Last week, if you remember, I discussed how they acquired luxuryrentals.com. This week they have um, gone in a little bit of a different direction. They acquired Tilt, which the title of the article says, Airbnb buys Tilt, signaling its growing interest in group travel. So as I was reading through this article, it basically just talks about what Tilt is, you know, why Airbnb was moving in that direction. I have heard of Tilt, but I wasn't very familiar with them. So just doing a little bit of research, it is a startup for crowdfunding and peer-to-peer payments. So to me, it's like a GoFundMe with a Venmo aspect of it. So one, I'm like, companies already exist that do this exact same thing. And two, I'm struggling to find their connection to group travel with this. So I thought the article was weird and the move from Airbnb was kind of weird. Um, did anybody else have any thoughts? Well, did they buy the technology? I mean, I can think of when I, I do a group trip each year with about 10 people, and the biggest problem is, okay, everybody's got to pay. Mm-hmm. If there was a one platform where you go in there and I pay my one-tenth the trip and everyone else does the same thing, I could see that. Sure, you know, and I, I they did, they paid 
the purchase price was estimated in the 10 to 12 million dollar range but then after people took into consideration um, employees employee retention packages all this other stuff the estimated number was 62.1 million dollars that's a big difference so yeah they spent a lot of money on this and the um, ceo of tilt is going to be joining the airbnb team so i would imagine they're going to integrate this into their app and throughout the whole experience um you know so i, I think it is a smart move for them i'm just I don't know. I'm kind of like this exists already. I think it just kind of goes back to Pete's point. This is this is just an easy way for a, a whole group to pay in for your group stay. Yeah, but like if like be. me, I use Venmo a lot for stuff. So if you're already using yeah, that, you why just wouldn't send you just, me money and yeah. I'll pay? For I mean, it. and obviously not everybody does. But if you already have or PayPal, if if someone's already familiar with that, I don't know. Yeah. I think it could be deeper than that and a little more nefarious. And in, in that, I look at. I read an article last week on uh, uber and you know most people look at uber as a transportation business and the argument they made is it's really not it's a logistics business they're really Mm -hmm. trying to move things around and disrupt how packages get delivered they're doing a lot of things in certain cities where they'll uh, partner with hotels and local restaurants and then set up delivery of, of that kind of stuff delivery of packages within a city, things like that. So uh, everything's not always what it appears on the mm-hmm. surface. And, and I think that could be what's going on with Airbnb here because we saw last week that they, you know, they've been purchasing their own inventory. Mm-hmm. They're also beginning to partner with other hotels to get additional inventory too. So uh, the, the, the transaction is, is a key piece, right? So are they trying to become some sort of, peer sharing or payment system a la paypal but specific for the hotel travel industry in general or is it just that they're getting more into just different peer-to-peer and social currency type businesses which obviously tilt is right so well i deal a lot of lot with groups and you know group websites and one of the holy grails for a group is to get the email addresses of not the group leader, but everybody in the group. This is a great opportunity for Airbnb to do that, to where they no longer have to just market to their database, which basically represents one-tenth of the people visiting. Let's say it's a big group. You know, This gives the opportunity to market to every single person in that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I just keep an eye on it, because I don't think it's 100% clear what they're trying to do, but they obviously have a plan, and they're going to execute it. They're like... A, the, the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica, they have a plan. They're just like that. They're trying mm-hmm. to spend all of their money. Maybe. They have a lot of it. Uh, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, you can see both them and Expedia with their purchase of yeah. VRBO, HomeAway, they're both gearing up for what looks like it's going to be a pretty big battle. Well, it, I mean, consolidation's been going on for a while in this industry, but it, it obviously is going to continue. That happens in most big industries. When you look at it, there's usually a few players monopolize in... Uh, you know, this is no different. But whether it's VRBO slash Expedia, whether it's HomeAway, whether it's, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter. I think one or two of those guys are going to disrupt the industry. Airbnb's probably got the best chance of disrupting just because their model's different than everyone else's. And their branding's probably a little better at this point, too. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, next, we have one from Skift. Um, just basically highlighting a four new travel startups that are helping hotels engage with guests. Uh, the first one they mentioned was Handy by Tink Labs. Um, this is a product that, well, it's a service that offers 
smartphones to hotels so they can give them to their guests. It basically allows the guest to communicate better with the hotel and then find out what's going on around them also. So the attractions, the things to do, whatever around the hotel. It seems a little weird to me. You're just yeah. giving a smartphone to your guests that they need an extra phone in their pocket. I, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't used it. I don't understand how it works, but it seemed a little strange. Next one is As You Stay. So this one's a, a mobile app that allows guests to book a room for just a few hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I see where all your heads went. No, I was thinking more like something close to a hotel. If you have a long layover, you can just book a room close for a few hours. Airport. What did I say? I meant you said the airport. close to a hotel. You know what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Close to an airport where you just need like a few hours, you have a layover, something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a big problem to that. Most hotels just don't have the capacity to do hourly rentals. Maybe you don't want to do hourly yeah, rentals yeah. for the same the wrong stigma kind of that you guys just put on I see someone doing something it. productive with the Ashley Madison database. That was nice. Oh. <laughs> um... Yeah, and there's, I mean, really, actually, there's actually a, quite a bit of competition there, too. So there's other people who do the same thing. So we'll see if As You Stay can can uh, be effective there. The third one they mentioned was I Reckon You. Um, I had to watch a video on this to really understand what they did, but it's basically like a middleware hospitality solution. It's helping hotels move from a traditional PMS to like a, a mix-and-match set of widgets. Um it basically combines systems to help hoteliers understand where their problems are in their hotel, how serious it is, and how they can fix it. It's kind of out there. I don't see how that really helps. So hotels. they're connecting a bunch of open source products. Is is that what it is? It seemed like they like had their own. It seemed like they had their own system that took um, a bunch of existing systems, stole their. I shouldn't say stole. Took their technology re- and remade it into one big dashboard that helps someone run a hotel a little easier. It shows what rooms are having problems, what the problems are, and it's more for a hotelier to manage their property better, avoid bad reviews, things like that. If you want to check it out, it's called I Reckon You. Go watch their video. You'll see what I was talking about. Is that you, the letter U? Yeah, I, yeah, little I, Reckon, big U. The last one they mentioned was Window. Um seen a few things like this before their biggest competition is probably going to be TripAdvisor and other well-known sites but window helps guests find local activities the first thing i thought about it when i saw it it looks a lot like eventful i'm um, just kind of showing you what's going on in your area there's a ton of competition out there to find out what's going on in an area uh, so i don't know how well Windows going to do um, the way skift said that they could kind of cut their own way into the market was Working with hotels and allowing them to upsell guests on services um, through people using that app, I think it's a stretch. I don't think people are going to start using this. It seems more like they're going to stick with their established trip advisors or, you know, uh, uh, something like a city.com, whatever, to find out what's going on in that area. Yeah, I, honestly, none of these really get me excited. Me There's either. not one of these that I, I look at and say, that is a great idea that solves a, a real problem. What I look at it as, and I, as I was reading through all these, I'm like, oh, cool, new startups. You guys are all doing something somebody else has dominated for years. And there's not a lock. new spin on it necessarily. No. They're just saying they're travel specific. Yeah. It just seems like travel startups are popping up out of nowhere, and it's just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Well, there's right. a lot of bench capital in the, in the industry just because it's been a growth industry, and a lot of people have made a lot of money. Look at all the consolidation and acquisitions. You know, whenever the, an industry's going through that cycle, a lot of money throws, a lot of start, startups come and go. 
a lot of them get mopped up and that's how people get rich. I'm all for, you know, hotels communicating with guests and making the stay better, but all of this has already been done. That's what kind of bugged me about these are like hot new startups kind of thing. It's not really hot or new. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Is that it? Yep. We got one more. All right. Uh, and we talked about how technology is going to be kind of an overarching theme of where hotels are going. People have a, a lot of technology at home, a lot of ways to connect, and that's carrying over to the accommodation space. Well, if you go to Singapore and you stay at one of the M Social properties, you'll be able to get room service delivered by a robot, which I think is really, really cool. So think of it as a Roomba that has a tower on it and can carry cold drinks. So this is, came out late 2016, and basically the M Social property is marketing this as one of their key amenities. So if you're at the property and you need bottles of water, if you need more towels, if you need you know, some type of meal, whatever it might be, you simply place your order for the request, somebody in F&B puts it into Aurora, and the robot goes to your room, basically alerts you that it's there you go grab your item that you purchased and the robot goes right back to its charging station it's a really cool device they've been testing it for a while and they're actually rolling it out full speed now what i like about this though is it almost encourages people to want to request something from room service they want the robot to show up then a robot comes to see you yeah we we, i I think i wrote a blog post about this when they first started bringing this technology out and testing it a couple years back and it was cool um at the time probably wasn't as refined as this this is i think it's a cool concept i'm wondering how it evolves though like eventually does this robot become a housekeeper will they be able to make beds and with their robots things like that because right now it's not that hard to say all right Roomba go find this room and deliver the drink I just put on you how much more evolved is this type of technology Well, when you look at from an automation perspective there is a decent portion of a full-service hotel dedicated to customer service and obviously we're big fans of apps but when you start taking the fulfillment of people's request away from the customer and giving it to a machine, you know, that's a big step. Could be. I mean, it could be better than using people, honestly. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Well, we finally ar- arrived in the year of the Jetsons, it sounds yeah. like. I think we're past the Jetsons. We, uh, we, well, at High Tech last year, we saw a couple of robots running around on the floor. So I'm hoping to see this year um, that there's going to be even more. I, th- I think it's definitely... Uh, the future, I, I'd love to see it in action like that. I'm really curious. Well, they had that one. I want to say it was Japan. I can't remember specifically, but it was you could interact with them. It was one of those robots you could have a conversation with, and they'd pretty much understand you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one looked like a person. One looked like a dinosaur. But basically, that thing could check you in. Mm-hmm. And they also had that was the one that had the robots mm-hmm. going room to room. But eventually, we're gonna almost have a interactionless. Well, but I, I, I don't know because I, I, you know, and we preached about this a lot on the podcast. We even did this a whole episode talking about trends and one of them was the technology taking over. And, and the point that we made, and I agree 100%, is you cannot take the personal touch out. It doesn't matter how much technology you infuse into your hotel. There's no substitute for a friendly smile or, or warm handshake, right? So we are in the hospitality business. There is a human element that always has to remain in that 
And I could see a divergence here where there's some hotels that go completely humanless and, and there's a certain demographic that will appreciate that. But I, for the most part, I think if if every interaction with a person is positive, most people are going to want to always have a, a warm, friendly smile greeting them and helping them because, you know, I, I have an Echo at home and it's supposed to be a real smart device. And I would say 80% of the things I ask it, it cannot process. I was just going to say that. I just got a Google Home. It's the same thing. You know, even it answers a little more than the, the Amazon product does, but it's not perfect. And that's a problem. It doesn't understand like a human would what, I, what I'm trying to get across. Right. My son tried to use Echo yesterday and I forget what the question was. It was something like how far away is Mars to Earth or something. And it couldn't answer it. It says, I don't understand the question. And his response was, Ugh! and he walked off. Like he got mad at Echo because it didn't understand him. You know, but I just, I don't, I think people are rushing the technology to replace humans. And it's coming at the expense of hospitality. And we've got to remember that hosting a guest at our hotel is the most important thing we do. Like Pete says repeatedly, it's the start of the next sales funnel. If someone has a great experience on the property, they're very likely to come again, and they're more likely to tell other people to come and stay at their property too. So losing that human touch is really, really dangerous. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump into our topic. And again, we we went to the HSMAI event in New York at the Marriott Marquis in New York, and we talked a lot about a lot of different things, talking about you know, the challenges the industry's facing. And the, the roundtable group that, that I hosted was all resorts. So leisure travel primarily, large resorts, small resorts, groups. And what we talked about initially was OTAs and why in the world are OTAs so successful. So the exercise we went through, and you guys can follow along at home if you want to pull up the show notes at fueltravel.com slash uh, podcast and click on episode 44 we're gonna have the screenshots that i'm referring to here but we pulled up booking.com you know i was recently looking for a hotel in charleston south carolina and it, it it's the first time i've really stopped and analyzed the otas in a while and looked at all the tactical things they're doing to try to create pressure and make a frictionless experience and push people through the sales funnel so let's take some time. We're going to put these screenshots on the on the podcast notes. So let's look at all the different things that they're doing. Just when I make a search, I put in a destination and dates, and that's it. Let's break it down and look at all the different things that OTA is doing. So before we do that, the, the, the context of the conversation was was two parts. It was what, what, what are OTAs doing right, and then what can we as hotels do what can we learn from that and what can we apply to our website? So let's start with what the OTA is doing right. So guys, what what do you see when you look at this booking.com screenshot? The first thing I noticed it was um, a thing that says free cancellation, pay at the property, no payment needed. That to me is what you're talking about is frictionless. If I can just say reserve that room, I'll pay you when I get there or something like that. You know, I would reserve maybe a couple and then pick the best one, cancel the rest. That's kind of frictionless to me and I have all these options and I don't have to pay you right now. Yeah, they're taking away a lot of the barriers of, of or the doubt, right? Whenever we're making a purchase, whether it's $5 or $100 online, there's always questions or nagging doubts in your head about what if, what if, what if, what if. And they try to eliminate all that. Like you said, there's no, no deposit. Cancellation is easy. 
You know, it, it eliminates that buyer's remorse, like, oh, I just bought this, but there's something better out there. Right. It's, you don't care. There's no you risk get, involved exactly. in the purchase. And and I don't see very many, if any, hotels doing the same thing. You know, I'll say the first thing that I noticed on the screenshots are they do a good job from a design perspective with things like color. Like, I'm really seeing the the, the different, the green and the orange and the red. Like, your eyes are really drawn to these areas. I personally feel like there's a lot going on here. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it is a lot of information. But they do direct you where they want you to go by using really bright colors. And, and, and it adds that that layer of separation, right? So you you can see, all right, this is blue. You read that section together. This is green. You read that section together. Orange. Read that section together. It kind of directs you, like you said, where what you need to be reading together. Well, you right. know, one thing to look at as well is it's very conversational. There's a lot of information on these screenshots and. If you're driving, you know, pull out your phone and focus on your phone and these screenshots instead of what you're doing. Uh, obviously, not do that. But you just uh, made a bunch of people crash. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, you need to look at these screenshots because it is really important that they're communicating on terms that a guest can really understand. A perfect example is how the hotel ranks. You know, it ranks from one to ten, but it tells you if it's above a nine. Well, it's not just a nine point one. It's wonderful. Right, they humanize it. Yeah. And it goes from very good to wonderful. They're using right. English words that actually mean something versus a sterile number. Right. And, you know, on one of the properties here, it says, well, not just breakfast is included, but a good breakfast is included. Yeah, that's just one word, but it does connect a, a little bit more to me because I know what a continental breakfast at a hotel mm. could be. You know, just a little bit of an accolade hey, this is actually a good breakfast. And that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, to me, what they're doing is they're humanizing it, right? And, and it's like if you have a conversation with an actual reservationist, the words that they use are going to be different than if you go to the website for most hotels because the website is just trying to... Most most times, it's just publishing data that they have, like information that they have. They're not really thinking about it, like you said, from a conversational standpoint in, in a human aspect in terms of how am I going to interpret this and how is it going to make me feel? What emotions is it going to elicit in me? And, and I think they do a really, really good job. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at the information that they're showing, they're showing exactly what people want. You know, I know storytelling is very important and we've expressed this in content marketing, different areas, but in this context, what are people looking for? They're looking for the price, they're looking for the location, you know, and just the top amenities. That's it. And I think they do a good job of knowing what people want and then presenting that. And they nail it right up top, just another brand name too. Uh, it gives you play, you know, location, how far it is from the center of the city. And like you said, top amenities, the ones we listed here, they're talking about parking and Wi-Fi. And in, in Charleston, which is where, you know, you're looking here, parking's a big deal. That's a top amenity. Yeah, especially, you know, if you're going to Booking.com, you you don't know what hotel you want to stay at, so you're looking to narrow that down. And what are the top things that people are going to use to narrow that down? Our study has proven it um, that we've done in the past, our website study, which we recently released. Um, you know, the price, that's really important. The location, that's really important. So... Put that front and center. Yeah, and amenities. They're saying free Wi-Fi and stuff like that, free breakfast. I also like, back to your point of color, Misha, the red, which is always danger, that's the, the thing that drew my eyes straight away, and it's you just missed out. So they're really teasing me with this urgency and, and using the fear of missing out as a motivator for me to, to respond quickly. So they're basically showing me, here was a deal that did exist had you, resp had you come earlier. You better hurry up. 
because there's other ones. And then there's a pop-up as well that's telling me there's other ones running out quick too because two people just booked it in the last hour. So not only is the one you wanted gone, but the one you now want is about to go too. So hurry up. I mean, that I feel like that's also like a reassurance too. If, if 10 people, three people, whatever, it doesn't matter. You saw a bunch of people book at this property. Well, okay, a bunch of other people booked there. I feel comfortable booking there too. It's not like zero people booked this in the last seven days well what's wrong with that yeah i mean they're using social proof they're using you know creating that sense of urgency stuff that we've talked about in the past but they're just doing a really good job of it yeah so here's what's really interesting so we went through this and and the the guys in the room really smart bunch of people some of the best resorts in the area and we you know we scored them all before we went we used a tool that kind of looks at how good their website is, how good their SEO is, how they're doing from a social, online rep, paid advertising standpoint. And we scored them out. I've never seen anyone above a 97 out of 100, right? And typically, people are in the 60s and 70s. I think this group, the average was about 85%. And we actually had three properties or property groups in this round table that scored a 98. And I've never seen that before. Yeah, so these guys are sharp, savvy marketers some of the best in the industry you can't tell us who they were huh no but they've been doing it for a long time right and they know their stuff so when we were breaking down this this screenshot from booking.com and and caveat we did it on mobile just because we're trying to reinforce that fact everyone starts to search on mobile right so we were looking at the mobile screenshots and they picked out all the same stuff you guys are picking out and it makes sense. They're using fear as a motivator. They're using scarcity. They're using social proof. They're, use, they're putting all this forward pressure to get someone down the funnel, right? So everyone got that. The, light, the lights were on universally across the room. So then the questions came up about, well, are you guys using any of these tactics on your website? And I think maybe one of the properties raised their hand and said, yeah. So... We know yeah, what who is I'm about to go to their website fact check this. <laughs> so we we know that this stuff works. We know that the OTAs are doing it. We we as hoteliers have all this information and yet we're not leveraging that. So from there we kind of went into looking at some of the data from a couple of our studies that we've done. So this data is from our leisure travel study that we put out last year right and one of the things it showed us was that the average number of sites that uh, a consumer visits different sites a consumer visits for making a booking is 4.6 percent now we we've actually done a more recent study in this we just put out our website behavior study and asked a similar question and we actually saw that drop to 4.4 percent pete got a lot of controversy on the interwebs this week <laughs> by publishing an article about that but that's a lot fewer sites than we think people traditionally looked at you know we've been told for years that it's 20 sites 30 sites that people look at and maybe it's they're looking at 30 sites but it's only four or five different sites right so they might be returning to the same site again and again so one of the things that i was trying to convey to them was okay one of those is probably an ota one of those is probably TripAdvisor. so that means they're only really looking at two or three hotel websites so if you're if you're getting them on your website you have a really good chance of converting them if you're doing the right thing on the website does that make sense it does i mean to me it says you know to that point one of them is probably TripAdvisor, and one of them is probably an ota 
So whether you like OTAs or you hate OTAs, you need to be on the OTAs and you need to be right there at the top because if they end up going to your property, you need to hook them on either TripAdvisor or the OTA site, eventually convert them as a direct booking guest on your hotel Are we not property. counting TripAdvisor as an OTA yet? Well, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, it's an OTA and I mean, a meta search on, and a review instant site. Instant booking at this point. I feel like they should be counted. Yeah, that but way. they have OTAs on instant booking. I know. Yeah, yeah and I, if, I hear if, you, like, but I feel like they're I don't, becoming their own. I think they're getting there, but I think from a volume standpoint, standpoint and a perception of mm-hmm. from the public standpoint, yeah. I don't think they're an OTA. I don't think people yet. go to TripAdvisor to book a hotel. Thinking they and when can you book look through at, TripAdvisor, yeah. And okay, I tell you I what, what look at any of the properties. You know, Phil and I, you and I work closely on a lot of the properties where we have. A strong presence on TripAdvisor. Look at the amount of bookings that take place from TripAdvisor's Instant Book, and look at what's booked on the property. From Expedia, yeah, it's, true. Yeah, you know, TripAdvisor is a nice participant ribbon, but that's I just, just about I it like right to now. look at it as functionality, and I see them doing yeah. it. And I want to put them in that bucket. Yeah. All right. So the next thing we kind of looked at was the where people start their journey, and then where they uh, what influences them most during the journey. And so we looked at search engines, the hotel website, OTAs, local portal sites, things like that. And we saw that there was a big shift between where they start and what influences them the most, right? So obviously, majority of people start on the, on a search engine, you know, and it was only 13.8% of people said they actually start on an OTA. And what's weird is it was about the same percentage of people that said that the OTA influenced them the most. So we saw the search engines drop significantly when it came to influence and the hotel website itself increased significantly when it came to influence. So people are using tools like search engines and OTAs at the beginning, but again, it tells me that the hotel website is critical in the decision-making process. So even if your hotel does a great job selling your property versus the competition, you're not just competing against other properties. You're competing against your other distribution channels. You're competing against your property on Expedia and your property on Hotels.com and Booking.com and all these other guys. So you've got to really think about it. Let's assume that rate parity is there, right? Let's assume that everyone's doing a perfect job of rate parity. Probably not true, but let's just assume that. So now why, What? give me a reason why I should book on your hotel website versus the OTA. When the OTA is already doing all this frictionless pressure building stuff to get someone to convert on their site. The other thing to look at as well, and of of all the podcasts we've done, this is the one really, if if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you listen, go check out the show notes because there's a lot of good information that we can't convey in audio. But one thing that's very clear in these graphs that we're looking at is the OTA customers are OTA customers. More and more, it looks like people who first go to the OTA to do a booking, it was at 13.9%. And the people who said the OTA was an influential source is 13.8%. So it is basically the same. So the question becomes is you need to find a way to get that customer, roughly 14% of people who are going to stay at your property, and get them to stop being an OTA guest and become a property guest. Because it's very frictionless. If they already have the account and it can just be one or two clicks and they booked, you got to be so much better than the frictionless experience that they're getting at the OTAs to get in the book of the property. Yeah, and we'll talk that. That was the second discussion point that we'll talk about in a second. Was once you have them as a guest, what can you do even if they book through an OTA? So we'll touch on that in a second. So, 
we know that people are going to the hotel website and the OTA a lot of times, right? And and they're shopping between the two and they're trying to make a decision between the two. And b- back again to the study that we did, we were asking questions about reviews and how important they are. So Pete, you want to talk about the percentages in terms of what people, uh, how influential reviews are? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, 95% of customers trust reviews that are on a hotel's own website. That's that's crazy, right? We that's, always that's assume that, right? that a third-party website is more trustworthy than the hotel site is, itself. But when we asked Leisure Travelers, it was not the case. The number one most trusted review was the review on the hotel website. So people miss the point, right? They think that they need this third-party review like TripAdvisor when they don't. They can publish their own reviews as long as they're authentic and as long as they don't just block anything remotely negative. If it looks real, people are going to believe it. And that's why services like Flip2 are doing so well because it's able to connect real customer reviews directly on the property site. I mean, that's one of those things where it makes it easy for someone to not have to go to TripAdvisor if they're seeing reviews that... 95% 95% of the people actually trust right on that property's website. Right. And that leads to the next stat, right? Which is 83% of people said that they will not book a hotel room without first looking at reviews. I'm really surprised that's not 100%. Well, and this this was the survey we published. This is back in June. I think the survey was actually conducted probably the end of 2015, maybe the beginning of 2016. So it's over a year old data. So it's probably higher now. But e- even so, say it's say it's 83%, right? The question I posed to the, the people in the room was, okay, if we know that 83% of people will not book without first reading a review, then what percentage of people that come to your website that does not have reviews are going to have to leave your website before making a booking, right? It's 83%. So you're basically saying only 17% of people are, 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 have a chance of booking without going somewhere else. And that somewhere else is probably TripAdvisor, which is where they're getting exposed and pushed to book all these other deals on other properties. And with the meta search functionality from TripConnect, they're also getting asked to book through a different third-party channel as well. I mean, I always check third-party sites because that's just what I do. I feel most comfortable doing that. But if you're feeding me uh, you know, a, a believable review even if it's from a trip advisor, I, I, I want to see it on your site. I don't, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to have to leave. If you can bring in trip advisor reviews or you have real reviews, put them on there. Cause I, I just know that I need to see it before I book any, any property. Just, I don't, I just don't trust. I don't trust much. I need some kind of other authority. I, I need me someone that this else is a verified review. Well, I don't, I don't need it verified. I just need a review so I can tell my wife when we show up at the property, it's terrible that it wasn't my fault. It was someone else. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. You nailed it. I didn't want to go there, but thanks. <laughs> so, you know, one of the questions that was posed to me, like, cause this, this obviously everyone in the room was like, okay, so we probably need reviews on our site. And we talked about, well, there are ways to do that. Yes, you can Im- embed the most recent five TripAdvisor reviews on your site for free. There's no cost for that. They give you that as a tool. Or you can use their API. It costs money and you can pull in, I think, the most recent 10 or, or you can do more stuff with that, right? But you can also curate your own reviews through a, a product like Flip2 or just build your own system where you're probably already sending post-date emails, right? So 
You're probably already asking question, how was your stay? Yeah, just nothing else to do it in the right. post-stay email. Yeah, and it, you don't even necessarily have to have a score, right? Because you could just have testimonials in terms of great stay, we really enjoyed it. It's just something that nudges people through the funnel and gives them reassurance is all you need. Being a marketing person, I understand that people answer those like star ratings differently. Mm-hmm. I care more about what they had to say. Mm-hmm. So like exactly to your point, I want to read what you had to say about that property. What made you happy and what made you mad? That's that's all I really care about. Right. So so one one individual did raise their um and ask the question. Well, if my boss is just against reviews being on my site, how do I convince them? Knowing that eighty three percent of people are going to leave if I don't have reviews on my site, what can I do to convince my boss that we need to get reviews on my site? So what would you guys say to that? Eighty three percent of people <laughs> leave your site to check for reviews. I. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you just got fired by that boss. Yeah. So well, what? the other thing I would say too is moderated reviews. I think a lot of people will get in their head, oh, if I allow reviews on my site, someone's going to give me a bunch of one star reviews. Well, two things. One, if you're moderating your reviews and you're posting, say, from a post day survey, that's probably not one that you're going to want to put on your the front page of your website. But number two, if you're getting one star reviews, fix that problem. And start getting five-star reviews. Because if everyone who comes to your property has that amazing experience, and Stuart, to your point, the surprise and delight, and you make them love the property, you're going to have a problem with space on your homepage sticking all the great reviews. Yeah, and, and we got to be realistic, right? Not every property is a five-star property. And and I've, I've, I've never booked a five-star property, right? I'll, no, I'll book but, something that's based on the price and the value. Right, but you'd give it a five-star review if you go there and you think it is... An okay property. It's and they exceed it's exceeded my expectations. Yeah. So the thing we've seen is the people who are the hardest spot to keep in TripAdvisor is the number one position because all of a sudden you've exceeded your capability to meet the customer's expectations. You get to the top and then all of a sudden I sit at the, the Myrtle Beach's number one property and you know I had a 30 second wait at Starbucks in the lobby. Well, Right, yeah, it wasn't the best experience of my entire right, I, life. So TripAdvisor told me this was going to be the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, we had a property like that. Literally had that issue, right? Where they were getting great. They weren't a, a high-end property. They were probably like a, a three diamond, maybe a two and a half. And they'd get reviews were like this was way better than I thought it was going to be, and all their reviews were real positive because it exceeded expectations. They got to number one. The reviews started saying, "This was a great property," but. And there was always a but because now you've you've re-anchored their expectations. Well, we know people are so much more likely to leave a negative review. I mean, what do we have? Four times more likely to leave a negative review. If you, like you said, exceed expectations, you're probably more likely to get a positive one. I, I mean, I would much, I would leave a negative review before I would leave a positive review. And I'm like most people, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think people look at reviews in context right they're they're looking for reassurance they want affirmation for the decision they've already made they want reviews that are in line with their existing opinion so i'm okay seeing a couple of one star two star three star reviews when it's clearly someone that's had a specific incident that went terribly wrong right but if the majority of threes and fours and fives and talk about great customer service and clean rooms and great food or whatever it is then it's, it's going to make a big difference. But what, what I told the individual was, you know, I, w- I would go to your boss with data. I would A-B test it and, and, and see 
you know, what impact it has on my bottom line. And we have a lot of hotels in our roster that have put reviews on their website. And I can count on one hand how many times we've had an issue where there's been a really bad review get on the website. And, and usually it's been dealt with very quickly when that's happened. A lot of our clients will moderate it before it goes live. So if someone posts a review, they actually have to approve it before it goes live. And that, that protects you. So why not own reviews and curate it on your own assets versus it being out there in the wild? Because if you can, on your post day survey, head off any major issues and deal with it and take the review and handle the problem and, and diffuse the situation before they go make a negative review on TripAdvisor, not only are you helping that guest, but you're helping your reputation as well. So I'm a big, big fan of controlling your reviews on your own website. What about responding to negative reviews too? I mean, I think that's a big factor. I think you need to respond to every negative review um, and every outstanding positive review. I don't, you know, some people say you have to respond to every single review. I think, I think that's, that's overkill, overkill for sure. Um, you know, the, the middle of the road ones, I don't think you need to. You know, if there's something specific brought up and it, it warrants a, a response, yeah, absolutely. If someone's not happy when you li- they leave your property, like if they came to your front desk and said, I really didn't like XYZ, would you ignore them or would you have a conversation with them and learn how you could have done better? You know, And online is exactly the same. So if someone has a negative experience, you should do every, everything you can to reach out to them and respond. And not, not necessarily everything's public, but maybe you respond publicly saying, we're going to reach out to you. Please email da, 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 or call this number and we'll... We'll deal with it. I feel yeah. like that's probably the best response to it. It's, it's you know, make the person feel uh, like they're taken care of. Because if you, be, like you said, you're not going to go to the front desk and if someone's given you, you know, I, I didn't like this, this, and this, not going to ignore them. But I think that, you know, it's, it's so many more people are going to see that online than they would hear that front desk conversation i didn't like xyz if someone goes on you know a review site and said i didn't like xyz you better answer that because there's going to be hundreds and thousands of people who see and honestly you could do a whole podcast and we probably should on how to best create curate and manage reviews yeah it would be a good topic so Jumping ahead, the, ne- the next com- so that was the conversation about pre-booking, right? How do we influence people? How do we do a better job than the OTAs? And you know, putting reviews, putting all this forward pressure on on our own booking engines is is a great idea. We encourage everyone to do it. But then you're still going to get a percentage of people that do book through an OTA, right? That that's the reality of it. So one of the goals should be within your organization when someone steps on property. And you don't necessarily already have their email address because OTAs do a really good job of not giving you the content information these days. What can you do as a hotel to ensure that next time that guest wants to stay in your city that they're going to book with you again, but more importantly, they're going to book direct? My favorite thing is incentivize it in some way, shape, or form. I think you know, even something as simple as a high-speed Wi-Fi for booking direct when you just get regular Wi-Fi for booking through anybody else that's enough for me. I don't even, I mean, that I would book direct just to get the high speed while I'm there. Yeah. I, I think some of it's also just, just letting people know that there's a choice, you know, a lot of people don't differentiate. They don't know what an OTA is. They don't know the difference between an OTA and booking direct. Yeah. The first thing is to get their email address when they're at the front desk. Yeah, for sure. Have a conversation, explain to them that you would like to communicate with them and send them offers and, provide value to them and you need their email address to do that absolutely 
So, so training is critical, right? You've got to make your staff understand why it's important. Why, why do we want to? What does it mean to our bottom line if these people that are costing us 15, 20% acquisition book direct next time? Significantly impacts my bottom line. And if the staff understand that, and maybe the staff themselves are incentivized in that, but certainly they have to be trained on that to be able to affect change. And, you know, I asked a question too, is like how many of you guys have any kind of training program or part of the training regime where you're talking to guests, to, talking to your employees about the importance of guests booking direct and what they can do to influence that next time? Not one of them has that kind of training going on. That's you surprising. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it's, it's common sense. We know it, but they're so focused on the operational side of training that they're not thinking about the guest satisfaction side and just how do, how do I help? I mean, if you can say everyone that books through an OTA and comes back to my property, I can make an additional 15, 20% on those people just by training my staff a little bit better, that is a great investment. I think rate parity is probably the, the biggest one. Am I, am I crazy? I mean, I think that you know, if you're offering a lower rate than all, what you're feeding to the OTAs, you should at least buy a dollar or so. Well, th- see, there's a couple of ways people are doing that, right? Some are like you have to be a member of our honors program or a loyalty program and you get a better rate, right? A member only rate. A lot of the chains are doing that. Some are doing, uh, you know, packaging, like stay three nights, get one free if you book direct, stuff like that. But, but honestly, what we've seen in our data is if the rate is on par, if it's even with the OTAs, people, if they, are, if they realize the difference and if you offer them some kind of reassurance through Booking Direct, they're more likely to book direct. But you've got to educate them. You've got to tell them. Well, the other thing you can do as well is you know, we're sitting here in Myrtle Beach. The summer is not a problem for really any of our local hotels. So you don't always have to even be on the OTA. It's incredibly important when you have holes in your occupancy, but if you know that you're gonna be sold out for July 4th weekend, it's not so important to always make sure that you're showing up you know, with a rate on the OTA. Maybe it, there's no rooms available, call the resort to book. You know, that's a, that's a really good strategy to prevent people who could be book direct bookers from taking the frictionless route through the OTA and just booking. Yeah, I was just talking to you guys about how I was going to a wedding in a few weeks and I was looking at the destination to see what hotels are available. It's a really small town, so there's only a handful of hotels. And I was, I Googled the hotels and was going to the individual hotel websites just to look at rates and price or whatever. And I went to several of the hotels and they were all sold out for the weekend. Well, I was communicating with a friend who said, oh, well, I'm seeing rooms available on Expedia. So I think managing that type of, whether it's inventory or rate parity, I mean, the management of that is so important. And that's just a, that's a big miss on the hotel oh, yeah. part. Oh, and that was the first thing I thought was like, wow, I feel like I need you to call these hotels. Yeah, yeah. So you got to back up the conversation. Before we talk rate parity, make sure you have a rate yeah. on your website. But then it's like, as book. a consumer, I'm not going to take the time to call the hotel and say, hey, you know, your website says you don't have inventory, but Expedia says you have rooms. Like, what's the no, deal? Like, no, I'm going to book the book. room on Expedia. Yeah. yeah, 9 out of 10, that is some kind of restriction, right? They set it up so, oh, on our website, we're only going to allow a two-night minimum or something, but it's getting close to the event, so they just dump rates with no restrictions on the OTAs. Big mistake. I agree with you, Pete. I think being strategic with the OTAs and using them for what they are. One of our clients does a really good job where they'll 
kind of push out some of their low tier inventory on the OTAs and uh, really limit the upper tier stuff. But they'll get people to book the low tier and then they'll do outbound. They, they get their reservationists to call the people that book and upgrade them. Oh, that's genius. You know, so then they're maximizing the revenue, but they're not underselling their, their big units as well. So there, there's a lot of strategies out there. I, I think paying attention to it and not just doing a me too approach and not just turning on the faucet of OTAs because it is, and, and people at this event described it as a drug. You know, it really is a drug. You can get addicted to it because you can just turn on that faucet at any point and you're going to get bookings, but are they the right bookings and are they are, are they at the right price? And that's where that decision needs to come from a lot of times the sea level because if all you're trying to do is make sure you have occupancy, it's a great drug to use. But you also have to have that other side saying, okay, I need to make sure that whatever we're doing, one, is generating the best rev par, and two, that I'm creating the system that's going to allow my hotel to have direct bookings the next year, the year after, and so on. Yeah, and one of the one of the problems that I've seen as well is in the reporting side. So people are looking at ADR from different channels, and they're not necessarily comparing apples to apples. They're not looking at the net revenue to the property, not taking out the commission that goes to the OTA when they're running their reports. So when they they do that, then they're inflating the value of the OTAs and, and gives the OTAs an unfair advantage. So they think that the OTAs are actually better because maybe they're getting a better ADR from the bookings on the OTAs. But back out of that commission and you might find that, you know what, your website's doing a lot better than you think it is. I think it's just, like you just mentioned, go back to your website, make sure your website's as good as it can possibly be, implement the stuff that OTAs are doing to keep people there and book. Do that for yourself. Just, just, just make yourself as seamless as possible yeah so as an exercise i would tell you everyone as a hotelier go and try to book your hotel as if you were a guest that didn't have any knowledge of the property whatsoever and try to book it on the hotel website and then go try to book it on booking.com or expedia and and really critically think break down step by step how many clicks it takes how many decisions you have to make how many questions it answers and how it makes you feel, because that's really important. And, and if the OTAs is better than your website, then you got some work to do, and you better go do it. All right, so that is our episode. That we'll wrap that up now. Like I said, we'll put the screenshots that we're talking about, and some of the charts on the podcast notes. The deck that I actually presented too, which has a lot of this information in it, is going to be available on that same page, which will be at Fuel Travel dot com slash podcast and click on episode 44 there were actually two other topics i wanted to talk about but we just ran out of time uh and, and one was you know the changing landscape with TripAdvisor and google and all the consolidation we've talked about that a lot in the podcast in the, in the past so go listen if you're interested in that go listen to previous episodes and then the other one i wanted to talk about which we haven't really talked about a lot on the podcast but i want to was what technology and especially with ai in in bots and things like that what is that what is that going to mean for the hotel industry especially as we go towards voice search and things like that and in the google search engine results page becomes less important uh we talked a little bit about that last week but i feel like we need to probably do a whole episode on that Mm -hmm. but i would like to throw it out there to the the 
listeners to the show, let us know what you want us to be talking about. You know, this is the show that we put on to help the industry, to help our clients and anyone that's trying to do a better job of driving direct bookings. So if there's a topic that you really are interested in, then please let us know and we'll try to cover it. And likewise, if you have a question for us that you'd like us to tackle, then please let us know. The best way to do that, you can do it through our website on the contact form uh, or email us directly at info at fuel travel, or you can go to Twitter and hit us up at fuel travel. So Misha, I think we did actually have a question this week. We did have a question from Carrie and she wants to know what's the next big trend in hotel marketing? Direct mail. Absolutely. Billboards. Triple A. Meta keywords. <laughs> yeah, meta keyword stuffing. White white text on white background. So how do you want to answer that one, Misha? I would like to let Carrie know that we actually have a travel trends white paper that I did. I spent a lot of time on it and I'm really excited about it. We are dropping that soon and we will probably have a podcast about that soon. So I don't want to release any spoilers, um, but definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, we will be tweeting it, promoting it. Um, you'll be able to download it as well. So yeah. And if you, stuff you can soon. actually go on some of the articles already published, like sections Two of, of them it? are. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to our website, fueltravel.com slash blog, there's a couple of travel trends articles already on there as well. So you can look, look those up and then we will be sure to be publishing more content on the blog including an article which with the link to download the travel trends white paper that misha did it's awesome guys please download it yeah it is really good when's that going to be published misha um hopefully within the next week or two okay we're just tweaking the design we are tweaking the design um the design looks awesome i was blown away by it when i first got it back so it looks awesome there's five um, top travel trends that we're talking about for 2017. So, like I said, the first two articles are on our blog if you want like a sneak peek of what's in store. But that's what we got. Yeah, go check it out. And speaking of downloads, we also want to let you know again that we recently pushed out a study with our friends over at Flip2. And this is the website behavior study, and it gives you tons of cool information about what you need to do on your website, what makes a difference, what people actually care about. And you can go to fueltravel.com slash website study and you can download that. And we've been getting great responses from the folks that have downloaded it. So, And if you want a printed copy, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or, or um, info at Fuel Travel as well. And we'll be glad to mail you a copy if you're not a downloader. So where can they find you on the web, Peter? They can find me on Twitter at PDiMeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Phil. You can find me on Twitter at P Fariska. That's P F O R I S K A. And Misha. You can find me at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M E I S H A. But before we wrap up, I'm going off the script here. We do have one more thing. So talk amongst yourselves for a few seconds. I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous. Yeah. Should be. Uh, she's opening doors. Is it cats or wine? It has neither cats nor wine, why do I but feel, it is for you, sir. Well, why do I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't know what's going on here? You might be getting set up a little. Mm. It's going to be pretty awesome when she comes back in. I'm super excited. Yeah, if only we were recording <coughs> this episode with a video camera. People could well, see. Well, we'll take a picture of the thing that's about to enter this room. Okay, well, the, it's... It'll end up on the podcast. The notes. anticipation is killing me, and probably the audience are like, is this podcast episode ended yet? They're waiting to see. 
They're going to hey, have wh- to wait. While we're waiting for Misha's return. Yeah. Oh, it so, just happened. Oh, my Lord. Here it comes. It's, Here it comes. it's a birthday cake. So, for the listeners, this was Stuart's 40th birthday last week, even though he wasn't here. And the office wanted to get together and make a cake for you to help you celebrate. So, are we ready? That is awesome. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Stuart. Happy birthday to you. It's a big Clemson paw. <laughs> I both love you and hate you at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. It is a big, obnoxious orange and purple Clemson paw. I'm assuming that was courtesy of Misha's baking. Yes. Yeah. Well, Who thank else you. could make that? <laughs> well, thank you, guys. That may be the first ever birthday cake delivered on a podcast. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Never. So, guys, thanks for listening at home. And uh, if you want a slice of this cake, then unfortunately you can't because we're about to stuff it in our faces. But until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Take my pants off watching Netflix. No regrets.